Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. You know, last week I talked a little bit about, if you're able to see um, the, the service last week or the message last week, I talked a little bit about a guy who worked for a company for more than 40 years. And then once he retired, uh, within three months, he passed away. He died within three months. And one of the things that I thought was this man, he really, uh, his, his work uh, was what all that he knew. You know, that was him. And it became a part of him. But not only did his work become his life, it became his identity. All right. And so we're going to talk this morning a little bit about um, your identity and who you are. Uh, you know, you might look at his situation and say that he wasn't able to balance his work and his life. Or he wasn't able to balance his work life and his social life. But I want to tell you this morning that really work is not the opposite of life. It's part of our life. I know some may not want to hear this, <laughs> but it is. It's part of our life. I mean, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first thing he did, the first thing he did was he gave him a job. He gave him a job and said, work the garden. Work it. He gave him a job. And so it gives us a sense of purpose. Work really does. Uh, and, you know, it seems more useful then instead of trying to say, well, I want to balance my work life and my social life. We really must understand that we need to treat work the same way we do life. We need to find the joy in it. And if you have that in perspective, the balance will come. Come on. By maximizing what you love there. We can't always do what we love, but we can always find love in what we do. Come on, we can always find love in what we do. It's a choice. It is a choice. And I believe that work is a necessary part of life. We can't, if you're a person that says, you know, work, it's a job, it, it enables me to get money, it's a necessary evil. You ever heard that term? Necessary evil. But I think that if you call work a necessary evil, you're missing out on a big part of life fulfillment. It's like saying, I have to deal with other people, I have to have relationships, and so that's a necessary evil for me. No, it's just necessary. Come on. It's necessary for us. There'll be good times, bad times, mountain experiences, and valley experiences, just like with every part of life. But it's not a necessary evil. It's just necessary. When we have uh, objections and things that are put in our path, uh, to overcome, it just makes us stronger. And we should treat work the exact same way. Come on. If we're going to live the life that God intended us to live, we have to realize that work doesn't have to be our identity. We have to have an identity already. You see, what I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning is the difference in who you are and what you do. Who you are and what you do. 
And we have to understand that we have to be comfortable in who we are in order for us to be satisfied with what we do. This way, work can be worship for us. A woman, Heather Shuck, once said this. She said, you will never feel truly satisfied by work until you are satisfied by life. Until you are satisfied by life. The great author Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote many books, but he also wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You ever heard that? He once said that most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. Not enough time on what is important. And then finally, I, I really love this man, Alexander Cruff. <laughs> he actually, he started a company called Woohoo. Kind of sounds like the chocolate drink, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's not Yahoo, it's Woohoo. <laughs> and what his company does is he goes into businesses and he talks to them about how to make, uh, get happiness out of your employees instead of looking for production. Because if you get them happy, the production will come. So he talks about that. And so though he is the CEO of the company, he doesn't call himself the CEO. He calls himself the CHO, the Chief Happiness Officer. <laughs> I love that about him. And he once said that most people chase success at work thinking that will make them happy. But the truth is, happiness at work will make you successful. You get that? So instead of chasing success in order to make you happy, chase happiness and that will make you successful. And the way we do that is to understand who we are versus what we do. Who we are versus what we do. Psalm 90, this is our series scripture. We'll be using this every week. And this just talks about how uh, God works. It, not only does God mandate for us to work, but he gave us an example. Psalm 90 verse 16 says this. It says, let your work appear to your servants, talking to God, and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, show us your work and it's your glory. Show it to us. And then in that same way, establish the work of our hands. Let that also be your glory. God's word translation put it this way. It says, let us, your servants, see what you can do. He doesn't do it in secret. Let us see what you can do. Let our children see your glorious power. Let the kindness of the Lord our God be with us. And then make us successful in everything that we do. Yes, make us successful in everything that we do. And the only way for us to do that, the only way for us, our work to be worship for us, is for us to first understand who we are. Who are you? Who are you? There's a difference. Who you are and what you do are two different things, saints. See, who I am, look at it this way. Who I am is the product, okay? And what I do is the delivery system. Who I am is the product. What I do is the way it gets delivered to you. So you can change what you do. 
But who you are will always show forth in what you do. What you do is simply the delivery system. So if you do a bad job at work, if you're always late and you always do a shabby job, if you always do just enough, guess what? It's a reflection on who you are. It's a reflection on who you are, okay? And you have to be able to separate these two. Separate these two. What I do, what I do, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I, I pastor, I write, I uh, study, I, uh, I'm a speaker, I do different things. All these things are what I do. But who am I? I am a person with certain ideals, certain habits, certain views on the world. I have a certain value system. I laugh a certain way. I, I have a, a particular sense of humor. All of these things make up who I am. That's different than what I do. Different. So one of the questions we may ask is, which comes first, who you are or what you do? But think about this. Now, when you're first starting out in life, actually what you do comes first. What you do helps to develop who you are. You're discovering things. Uh, you know, life is new. And what you do helps shape who you are. But there comes a time in life where the who you are becomes greater than what you do. It's not as important what you do as who you are. People care more about who you are than what you do. Come on. And so at that point, you must focus more on who you are and who you are becoming. Because when you focus on who you are, what you do becomes the direct result of that. That's what I'm saying when I, I'm saying it's natural to say we want to balance our work life and our social life. But see, don't focus on balancing it. First, focus on who you are. If you do that, the balance will come. What's important, come on, will come. And you'll focus more on what's important. That'll, that'll, that'll come from you. But you first have to know who you are. Who you are. Who I am is manifested in what I do. How many ever heard the term, you might not have heard it before, a cliche, actions speak louder than words. You ever heard that? Maybe you might have heard it somewhere along your path. Actions speak louder than words. I would tell you this morning that the Bible absolutely supports that. Well, in fact, the truth is that cliche supports what the scriptures already say. Let's put it that way. Come on. Scriptures are here first because God was here first. Even if it wasn't written, God was still here. So the scriptures were here. Come on. And so let me just throw some at you that supports that. First John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Show me. You love me? Show me. Show me. James 2.17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith, confession, obedience, but without the works, without the corresponding actions, as my wife would say. You don't have the corresponding actions, your faith is dead. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, by his, listen, by his good conduct, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his conduct, actions speak louder than words. Matthew 5.15 in the Beatitudes, Jesus said in the same way, you know this, 
let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They may see your works. And then Titus 1.16. I like this one. They profess to know God. <laughs> they say it with their mouth. But they deny him by their works. You say that you know God, but what I see you do doesn't say that you know God. And then he went on to say this. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Strong words, isn't it? Strong words. It ought to make us see that what we do, we ought to do in excellence. And, it, and it's not just our career and our vocation. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I've, I've told this before, and I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, Brother Randy, I remember we, were, we had a house here in Bloomington. You may remember this, Randy, and we were trying to uh, get a deck in our backyard. <laughs> he remembers it real well. And um, I, I was, he impressed upon me uh, ethics so much because, um, now I didn't know anything about building it, so I'm just going to be out there with him and hand him the hammer and, you know, do, uh, give me a screw, you know, and all of those types of things. So we're out there and he's building it and I'm helping him and uh, it gets to a certain point and the foundation is a little off. And we had, by the way, we had dug, um, you know, we had dug in the ground and put in uh, quick crete, some concrete in the ground and, uh, you know, put, um, you know, all these pegs in the ground and they, uh, you know, they had uh, uh, got solid and all of that. And he looked at it and it was a little, just a little off. I couldn't tell. So I'm thinking, yeah, it looks good to me. I'm just going to sit out on the deck anyway, cook some hot dogs on the grill but he said, no, that's, that's off. That's off. We got to do this over. Don't you know we dug up all of those pegs? I mean, we had to break up the concrete and do all of that. And I'm talking about it was one of those summers like we're starting out now where it was 90 degrees outside. We broke all that up, dug all that up, threw that out, and did it over. Okay? Make a long story short, uh, I, I just thought, man, I mean, if you're that particular about your friend's deck, <laughs> come on. I heard John Maxwell say one time that he went to lunch with a guy, a business owner, and the business owner sat down and sat across from him and said, I want to talk to you about ethics, specifically business ethics. Talk to me about business ethics. And John Maxwell said, oh, well, this is going to be a short conversation. He said, why? He said, because there's no such thing as business ethics. What do you mean? I'm talking about, you know, I own a business and I want to talk about ethics. I want to talk about business ethics. And Maxwell said, I, I'm telling you there are no such thing as business ethics. Ethics is something that you have or you don't. You don't have it just when you're in business. It's just simply ethics. And so the question is, who are you? Who are you? Can we look in the mirror and ask ourselves those questions? Who are we? Who are we? We need to focus on who we are before we focus on what we do. A couple of 25-year-olds, uh, I got a quote from a couple of 25-year-olds um, as they begin their careers and got into their jobs. One person said, I would rather get by with a little bit and be able to enjoy life than to have a lot of money and be constantly working and never have time to enjoy living. To me, that's not success, that's prison. 
That's not what we want out of life, is it? Where our identity is in our work. Our identity is in our work. Another one said, I would rather spend my life content with little than work my tail off to have more. That life never appealed to me. It isn't my dream. True quotes. So obviously people don't want their identity to be in their work. Where should our identity be? Come on, where should our identity be? In Christ. He's the one that tells us who we are. Who we are. And so for us to have work as worship, let me just give you seven things about who God says you are. And if you get these down and understand who you are, your work will be your worship. And not only that, if I could go to the, uh, the next level, not only will your work be your worship, but everything you do will be worship. Your interaction with your friends will be worship. When you have people over your house, when you go golfing and swimming, that, that will also be worship. Your whole life will be worship. Your whole life will be worship. So who does God say you are? Well, the first thing we have to understand is we are his workmanship. Let me put it this way. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that should show in your work. It should show in your work. You are God's workmanship. That means he's proud of what he made when he made you. Now, you might do like me and look in the mirror and think, boy, that's a goofy looking face and, uh, you know, all of these type of things. And you see all your imperfections. But to God, it's a beautiful array of characteristics that he put on you. Don't you ever look at yourself and say all of these imperfections. Who says that? Who told you they were imperfections? Come on. You must be comparing yourself with somebody else. But you are his workmanship, folks. And then we have to understand that we're a new creation. So even if you were born a certain way and you messed up and you did all these things and fell into this and fell into that, when you accepted the Lord in your life, you are a new creation. He took something that was dormant, breathed the breath of life into it, and made a new creation in you. You know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, behold, all things <laughs> have become new. In other words, look. Look at this. Stop focusing on your past. You ever thought about that when you read that scripture? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Hold up. Behold. Stop looking back. Behold. All things have become new. That's you. That's you. You are a new creation. And guess what? It should show in your life and it should show in your work. We need to understand this. Number three, that we are God's temple. Now, that should have some weight. That should weigh on you a little bit. I'm not telling you to, to have a burden, a, an unwanted burden, but I'm telling you to understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That should weigh on you a little bit. That should weigh on you when you do your work. Come on. 
2 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I, I, I even like the King James. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you are the temple of God. You are the place where he dwells. It's not about this church. I'm so glad to be back in the church building this morning. So glad to be back here. But you know, at the end of the day, this is a place we come to fellowship. This is a place. It's just a place. It could be anywhere. That's what we're using it for. But if you want God to show up, <laughs> don't come here to find God. Bring him here with you because know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God's temple. And then I love this one, number four. Guess what? You are more. You're not a conqueror. I would be satisfied with being a conqueror. I go out and conquer. Be satisfied with that. But that's not what God said you are. Not what he said you are. He told Paul to tell the Romans that you are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Romans chapter 8 verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress or persecution? Shall famine, nakedness or peril or sword? Shall rioting or looting or viruses or economic downturns? Shall any of that separate us from the love of God? He set his love upon you. The Bible says, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, you are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. You will overcome. You shall overcome. And if you look at it from God's perspective, you have overcome. Just walk in it. You have overcome. You are more than a conqueror. Number five, listen, I know you live here, but you know what? You're just a pilgrim. You know where your you know your papers. If you really look at your true papers, I'm not talking about your United States papers or your Filipino papers or your Russian papers. I know we have to have those papers, but your real eternity papers. If you look at your papers, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm living here right now, but I'm an ambassador. I'm, I'm here to bring the kingdom of God here. I'm just visiting. I'm just visiting this terra firma, this particular earth, because this one's going to be wrapped up. This was going to burn up. This was, this was going to disintegrate along with the heavens. He's going to wrap them up like a scroll and say, that's a wrap on that. And so while I'm here, it's my job to bring the kingdom of God here now where we are. Because that's where I'm a citizen of. That's where I'm from. If you want to know where I'm from. If you want to know where I'm from. Come on. And then take this one to heart, would you please? Take number six to heart. You are righteous you might not always do righteous things <laughs> you might fall back a little bit you might get tripped up now and again but who you are is different than what you do 
Now, does that give you an excuse to do whatever? No, it does not. God forbid. Don't let me go back to Romans chapter 7, chapter 8. God forbid. Daddy going to give you a whooping. You got to take your whooping. Get you back on track. Who you are, though, is different than what you do. So you have to understand that you're righteous. And I think once we understand that, once we get that revelation in our spirit that we are righteous, then what we do will show that. You'll do righteous things. You'll do righteous things. We can't do righteous things to get God's favor. We can't do righteous things to get into heaven. But because we are citizens of heaven, because we are citizens of the kingdom, because we are overcomers, come on somebody, because we are all of those things, then what we do will be righteous. That's why the church should be the lead. I don't want to get off on that. We shouldn't be pulling up the rear. When God said, listen, God said, you are the light of the world. That's not the tail light. We are the headlight. We are to get out in front. What we do is righteous. And I'm not bragging on you and me. I'm bragging on God because he's in us. And if he be for us, who can be against us? The church is the lead. We need to say, world, look at us. Follow us. I know you tried it your way, but look here. Come on. Follow us. Get in the back. Get in the back seat. Get in the back of the truck. Come on, get in the bed. Bring up the rear because we're going on. We are the church. We are the church. And we are righteous. Not because of anything that we do. I'm not talking about arrogance here. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I'm not talking about arrogance, but I'm talking about we serve an almighty God. We serve the creator of the universe. We serve the one who breathed the breath of life into everyone, even sinners. Come on. He created you whether you want to uh, believe it or not. God created you, and he's in control. Last I checked, he hasn't given up control of the throne. He's still on it. And because he's still on it, and because he's in you, you are righteous. You are righteous. Let's look at the things that are above. Come on. The things that are eternal. That's why we're in the league. We have an eternal answer to an earthly question. The church is in the lead. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did it, not us. Wasn't anything I did, wasn't anything you did. But Jesus took all of our sin on his shoulder. He took it to the cross and he paid the price. And now you who confess him as Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead on the third day, you are righteous. You are righteous. Come on. And then lastly, we are the example for the world. We're the example, church. Matthew 5, 13 and 14 says, you are the salt of the earth. The salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored if it does that? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be, listen, cannot be, it cannot be, it can not be, it can't be hidden. The church cannot be hidden. They can try to put a, a, a basket over the light of the church, but it's not. They've been trying to do it for hundreds and thousands of years to put a light 
and a damper on God's people. But do you know that your light cannot be hidden? Come on, the church cannot be hidden. The Bible is, has always been the best-selling book of all time. Of all time. Come on. Cannot be hidden. And so our lives should not be separated into two categories that are work and life. We should not struggle, folks, to balance the two. I think that's where we fall short sometimes. We struggle to balance our work and our life. But let's not struggle to balance the two. Instead, the best categories are who we are and what we do. Not what I am at work and what I am at home. It's who I am, period, and what I do. Our goal should be uh, to allow who we are as a person to manifest in our work life. Why? So that it will glorify God. That's the point. That's the point. Our work shouldn't simply make us feel better because we're doing something. It does make us feel good, but that's not whether it, where it stops. It should go on to testify of how God blessed us and is working in us. And he's working through us to bring his kingdom to all people. Remember this. We can't always do what we love but we can always find the love in what we do. Amen.